Why is Chicago called the Windy City? Because it's windy. It was originally founded by John J. Windelin. The gnats at NU fly around so much, it gets windy. Because the wind absolutely gusts me over. I don't remember, but I'm pretty sure it doesn't have to do with the fact that it's actually windy, like for real. From the Daily Northwestern, I'm Sammy Boas. And I'm Lily Cohen. Welcome to The Ripple, a podcast exploring the effects of state and national politics on the Evanston and Northwestern community. Chicago has many nicknames, Second City, City of the Big Shoulders, Chi-Town, but none of those are as famous as the Windy City. The moniker makes appearances all over the city. To name a few, Windy City Smokeout is a country music festival. The Windy City Times is a newspaper covering the Chicago LGBTQ community. And Windy City Live is a Chicago morning talk show. But where does the name Windy City come from? The easiest answer would be that the wind coming off of Lake Michigan makes for a windy atmosphere. But in our search for the true reason, we discovered that the origins of the name actually have nothing to do with weather and everything to do with politics. Many historians think the name comes from the World's Columbian Exposition of 1893, the first World's Fair hosted in Chicago. This World's Fair was to celebrate the 400th anniversary of Christopher Columbus's arrival in the Americas. And there was a pretty fierce competition between a variety of cities in the United States to host that World's Fair. There were meetings held, I believe, in New York, where then it was reported that the Uh, I guess, bombastic politicians or boosters of Chicago were so outspoken that then Chicago was sort of tagged with this moniker of the, the, you know, the people from the Windy City, you know, that we were all blowhards about how great Chicago was. And, you know, New Yorkers, of course, didn't think much of Chicago, and sometimes they still don't um, as part of the flyover states. That was author and bridge historian Patrick McBriarty. He's also a co-host of the Windy City Historians, a podcast about the history of Chicago. That year, St. Louis, Washington, D.C., and New York City all competed to host the 1893 World's Fair. The main competition was between NYC and Chicago, the largest and second largest cities in the U.S. at the time. Charles Dana, the publisher of the New York Sun at the time, was a strong advocate for New York hosting the fair. In 1890, Dana allegedly said, don't pay any attention to the nonsensical claims of that windy city. Its people could not build a World's Fair even if they won it. But researchers have never managed to find Dana's original article that included this quote. Chicago was ultimately chosen because of its railway system and central location. Barry Popick, an etymologist, took a trip to Chicago when they were celebrating the World's Fair around 1994. While there, Barry visited the Chicago History Museum. Interested in the origins of words and phrases, he asked the tour guide about the origin of the phrase. The tour guide didn't know the answer. So, Barry began researching the Windy City question himself. The first thing I did was I went to the obvious source, which was the Dictionary of Americanisms. What's the first citation? 1887 from the Louisville Courier Journal. And I said, wait a minute, 1887, they were bidding for the World's Fair in 1889. That was two years later. 
So it has nothing to do with the World's Fair. It was not coined by this guy. So I knew within seconds that the whole Windy City story was completely wrong. Barry went to the New York Public Library, where they have a lot of newspapers on microfilm to investigate further. But they didn't have the Louisville Courier-Journal. So he checked out the Chicago Tribune, which was then called the Chicago Daily Tribune, and found a citation from 1886. And he says, people are calling us the Windy City. We don't know why. We don't deserve it. And then I, I got a clue that it's from Cincinnati. And I, I found a lot of citations from Cincinnati. Barry found citations from the Cincinnati Inquirer from the 1870s that used the term Windy City against Chicago in a derogatory way. For Cincinnati, those people in Chicago are windy. Cincinnati was a rival city of Chicago. They were both called Porkopolis. Uh, Cincinnati had the name Porkopolis. Later, Chicago took the same nickname, Porkopolis. They were rival cities. You don't think about it now that Chicago being a rival of Cincinnati, but at the time they, they were, and it was a very big thing. In the 19th century, Chicago was the city on the rise, trying to prove itself. It was incorporated as a city by the state in 1837, making it newer than rival Cincinnati. Through that late 1800s, early 1900s, uh, Chicago was probably much more trying to compensate for its really dirty, you know, swampy West town characterization that Easterners might give it and also fight its way into becoming, you know, what eventually became the second city as the second largest city in, in the United States surpassing St. Louis and, and Philadelphia and some other, other cities like that. I got the sense that, you know, Chicagoans would probably be a little more aggressive or de- and or maybe defensive throughout those periods. Despite its underdog status, Chicago was growing quickly. Over the course of the 1860s to the 1880s, Chicago grew from a city of around 110,000 people to one of more than one million residents, making it the largest city in the American Midwest and third largest in the United States. Early on in the uh, 19th century, Chicago was was fighting for its place in, in in the United States and in the world to be recognized. So I think there was probably a much stronger push and more boosterism for Chicago at that stage, uh, particularly after trying to recover from the fire of 1871 and rebuild the city. Uh, and it is pretty remarkable that then only you know a couple decades later, Chicago ends up holding a World's Fair that becomes known as probably one of the greatest World Fairs um, ever. So that gives a fair amount of pride. Chicago wanted to host political conventions as a way to bring people and money into the city. The first presidential nomination convention Chicago hosted was the Republican Convention in 1860, where Abraham Lincoln, an Illinois native, became the Republican nominee. Between 1860 and 1996, Chicago hosted 14 Republican presidential nomination conventions, 11 Democratic presidential nomination conventions, and one Progressive Party assembly. Thus began Chicago's relationship with politics and politicians. Dick Simpson is a professor at the University of Illinois at Chicago, a former alderman of the city from 1971 to 1979, and a two-time congressional candidate in the 1990s. He has a unique personal relationship with Chicago politics and offered some historical context for the way some of those politics came to be. 
back in 1871, uh, the first of the political machines was built under a crook politician named Michael Cassius MacDonald, and machine politics became the hallmark of Chicago ever since. For those of you who may not know, a political machine is a political organization led by one person or a small group that controls enough votes to maintain power over the government in a city, county, or state. Early it was divided into different fiefdoms in both the Democratic and the Republican Party. After the Great Depression or during the Great Depression, uh, it became centralized in the Democratic Party under Anton Cermak, perfected under Richard J. Daley, and uh, transmogrified again under Richard M. Daley. Richard J. Daley became mayor in 1955 and stayed in the position until his death in 1976. He contributed to the city's urban renewal projects and highway construction, but also received backlash, especially from Black voters who grew frustrated with racial segregation and housing in schools. Richard M. Daly, the son of Richard J. Daly, became mayor of Chicago in 1989. Richard M. Daly opened Millennium Park and planted trees around the city. But under his leadership, the city's budget deficit grew. This led to the privatization of government operations, including parking meters, which drew criticism. Now, Richard J. Daley is cited as the leader of the last political machine in the United States. Chicago is essentially the epitome of American politics. It shows its racial biases more clearly. It shows machine politics. It is built as an example of often what is good about American politics and frequently what is bad about American politics. So it's an exemplar or an extreme case, as they say in the social sciences. But not all hope is lost for the Windy City or the American political system. While Chicago's messy, or as some might say, windy, political history encompasses so much of what is wrong with politics today, it also offers potential for change. Chicago is a harbinger of what might be possible in American politics, that is a rebirth of democracy. Uh, The election of Lori Lightfoot in a more progressive city council is one example of beginning to come to terms with both our racist and unsavory machine politics history, and hopefully it's a new wind blowing across Chicago. From the Daily Northwestern, I'm Sammy Bowes. And I'm Lily Cohen. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Ripple. This episode was reported and produced by me, Lily Cohen, and Sammy Bowes. The audio editor of the Daily Northwestern is Madison Smith. The digital managing editor is Haley Fuller. And the editor-in-chief is Sneha Day.